Welcome to our Easter service. We celebrate the risen Lord. I love that music, by the way. Can you just keep playing while I talk as well? I don't know where everybody's going. Well, we are so glad you're here. And I know that you're probably here because you're part of the River Church. Maybe you've been brought by somebody. Maybe you're in town as a friend or part of a larger family. And you're here to celebrate together on this Sunday. You know, of all the religions in the world, only Christianity celebrates one event in all of history. Have you ever thought of that? Only Christianity celebrates a single most important event in history. It's this morning. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus changes everything. And that's what we're going to look at this morning through the eyes of Mary. As Caitlin read the story, I want you to reflect on who Mary is and what she was experiencing, what she was going through in this moment of what we might call a crisis moment in her life. You know, many of you are here this morning and, and you've been through one of those years or maybe you've been through months or even longer periods of time in which you would say, I understand what Mary must be feeling. So let's look at this particular account this morning as we think about the fact that this event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, changed everything for this woman and will change your life as well. If it becomes true for you, and that's the challenge this morning, the possibility of new faith, the potential of hope and purpose, and Mary finds all three of these things true, as she meets the risen Lord. Now, before we get to Resurrection Sunday, this morning, we had to go through Friday and Saturday. And many of you are here on Friday, and we celebrated Good Friday. And during Good Friday, we celebrated the fact that Jesus went to the cross for us. We, we look over at this cross, and we have it here on the beach to remind ourselves that before we can get to a resurrection life, something had to die, and it was Jesus. And so we gathered together to remember the death of Christ and his sacrifice for us on Friday. And then Saturday happened. And we don't typically think a lot about Saturday, do we? I mean, Saturday fits between Friday and Sunday, and here we are now celebrating the life that Jesus gives us in the resurrection. But you got to remember Saturday. Jesus had died. They put him in the tomb. They didn't know for certain that three days later, this day would come. That this event would happen. And so there they were. Jesus was gone. He had died. And on Saturday, their dreams were dashed. Everything changed. On Saturday, they had to think of what it was going to be like without their Lord. He was gone. It was the day between... And on Saturday, everything was different. And they had to figure out what to do. You know, this particular Good Friday was unique for me and for a couple others. I look over and see Mike Keating. We share the same birthday. It's March 30th, which is Friday. And so when I showed up for Good Friday, it's kind of a weird thing to try to celebrate your birthday on the, you know, event of Good Friday when, as one of my friends says, what do you do during Good Friday? Well, I just walk around the house and feel miserable. So I try to connect with the cross of Christ and the event. And, and so we showed up, and, 
And I was very reflective about my birthday and this particular event because I don't remember a time when it landed on the same day. And I thought about my, my own year that's just gone by. And it was a big year for me. And I can relate to Mary in a certain way. I mean, I lost my mom just uh, uh, last year. Within 11 days, my mom tripped, very healthy. She fell, hit her head, and was gone 11 days later. Just, we had no idea it was going to happen. Two of my kids were married that year. And uh, I went into AFib that year. And then November hits. And I get this crazy diverticulitis that just goes on month after month after month and finally surgery. And I round out the year wondering what in the world just happened. And, and it was a real crisis for me. I mean, it was one of those years. Have you ever had one of those? A period in time in which you really have to think hard about what God is up to. And I think that's where Mary is in this story. She's asking the question, God, where are you? I mean, look at this passage with me briefly. If you, if you have your Bibles or if you have it on your phone, you notice, you notice the emotion in Mary's life. I mean, you see her, she's weeping. I mean, she's in crisis. Something is not right. It's not the way she thought it was going to happen. And for many of us that are here this morning, maybe that's life for you. It's not happening the way you thought it was going to happen. And then it says here, you've taken away my Lord. I don't know where he... I, have you ever said that? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know what's going on. And then a little bit later, she says, tell me, tell me where you have laid him. Where is he? God, where are you? I mean, you, you really sense the emotion in the life of Mary. Depression, sadness, confusion. See, it's a crisis moment of faith, hope, and purpose. And I've been there. I, I can look back, and last year was a life-changing year for me as I now move into 2018. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes all that. I was postured like Mary, like many of you this morning. You're in the right posture if you can identify with events in your life that are bringing you to this morning and you need the resurrection life. You need it. You know you need it. I mean, there, there might have been a major crisis in your life. I wrote down many different kinds of things. Could be the fact that you're about ready to start a new life and you're entering into marriage, and there's a judgment, just adjustments. Maybe, maybe you're pregnant, and your life's going to change, totally change, and it's going to be a major adjustment. Maybe you're going through a relationship, and it's over, and you're wondering, God, where are you? There's weeping, there's sadness, there's desperation. Lord, what are you up to? Could be a sickness, illness. Or something else in your life that has brought you to this place, and I don't want you to miss it. I want you to see the resurrection through the eyes of Mary that are so similar to so many of you out there. And I look around and I see you, and I see your families, and I know you've gone through things. There's been crisis in your life. 
And through crisis, God breaks through because of the resurrection. And so this morning, I want you to see Mary. And I want you to see the three things that Mary struggled with. She had a crisis of faith. She had a crisis of hope. And she had a crisis of purpose. And all three of them were restored in the resurrection. And so it is with you as well. The first one is faith. And the the question is, what is faith? I mean, really, when you think about biblical faith, what is faith? I mean, faith is the idea that you believe in something that you know is true. That's what faith is. It has a foundation. It has something real behind it. I mean, we can believe all different kinds of things. And so we, we, could, we could make all sorts of belief statements. I could say that I truly believe that people are mo- most more motivated by encouragement than chastisement. I know that to be true. I've seen that. I've felt that. I've felt the encouragement versus the chastisement, and I've done better with it. Or you might say, here's another belief statement. You get out of life what you put into it. It's really true, isn't it? I mean, we found that to be true. It's, 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 we believe that, which means we have faith in that. Or I could say, I am absolutely convinced that there are living beings other than us in the universe. Well, there's no foundation for that. I, I have yet to see any proof of that. And yet some of us have put our faith in things where there's no foundation. You need a foundation for your faith, and the resurrection becomes that foundation. And in this moment, and in this event, Mary's faith developed from a point of confusion and unfoundedness to absolute confidence. And we know this this event changed everything. It produced the faith that Mary needed. In fact, we know it's now true. And we look back and we have the ability in hindsight to look back and see what the Word of God says about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died and when he was born again, excuse me, when he rose again for us, we were able to experience a new life. We were able to experience that. Look, listen to this. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is what the Bible says about the resurrection in faith. It says this, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Do you hear what he's saying? The Apostle Paul, looking back on this event, is saying that your faith is worthless unless Christ rose from the dead. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a little bit later on in that passage, he says, if Christ has not been raised, people ask all the time, why did Jesus have to rise? I mean, he died for our sins. Why didn't he just ascend? And this was it. His key came, accomplished what he was supposed to accomplish. He had to rise. The resurrection had to happen so that your faith would cause you to believe that Jesus has died for your sins. He had to rise in order for your sins to be forgiven. That's why we celebrate the resurrection. I mean, we understand all throughout Scripture that there is a crisis of faith. And we wonder, 
Where are we going? What's our faith lying on? What's what's a, what's our faith hanging on to? And I would suggest it's on the fact that the resurrection wipes out our sins. And if Jesus had not gone to the cross and rose again, we would still feel the weight of it. And I think Mary did. I think her weeping and her confusion. She she was a Jewish woman. She grew up in a Jewish home. I mean, th- think about this. The people around Jesus at this time had a religion. They had a tradition. They were living their life with this idea that what they did produced an approval with God. As long as they followed their religion, they were good with God. But here's what changed. She realized that her faith was no longer resting on what she did, but what Christ had done for her. That all of those years of trying to be approved by God, to work hard for God, she went through a crisis of faith and realized her faith now rested not on what she could do to find her approval with God, but what God did for her. Many of us live with the shame and guilt of the past. Many of us do. And we feel it. And we feel the weight of it. And oftentimes our faith says, well, if I just work hard enough, if I just keep working, if I just keep producing enough works, if I go to church, if I read my Bible, if I do all these things, then I'll be approved by God. And see, Mary, in her tradition, in her background, in her her life, she knew that part of her religious faith was based upon her work to demonstrate enough work to be approved by God. And that all changed in this moment. In fact, we know in Romans chapter 3 that when when Jesus went to the cross, he, he atoned for all sins. Everything, past, present, and future, every event in your life that has separated you from God was gone completely separated you from all of those events, from the consequences of those. And he became what the Bible calls the one who justifies you. The idea of a just one who justifies is a person that literally stands in front of you. You've been accused and you need to pay the consequence. And Jesus stands in front of you, his arms stretched out and says, I got this. Get behind me. Any accusation made against you for the rest of your life is absorbed in Jesus. And you now stand behind him. You're approved by God. You are loved by God. Jesus is the one who justifies you. And he stands before you because of this event and says, I got this. No accusation. You will never have to feel like you're not good enough. You will never have to work your way into approval with God. God approves you. God loves you. And in this moment, this morning, on this beach, that can be yours. It's a transformation of faith upon something that cannot deliver what Christ can deliver. There's a second thing that I want you to see in this passage. And it's the fact that Mary went through not only a crisis of faith, but also a crisis of hope. I mean, we see that, that we see the hopelessness. We feel the hopelessness. I don't know where the Lord is. Tell me where she is. We see this in this passage of Mary wondering, desperately feeling like all hope is lost. 
in this moment. Her Lord is gone. Mary's hopes and dreams were dashed when Jesus died. All that Jesus had promised and said, I go to prepare a place for you, and where I go, you'll go with me. I mean, Jesus had promised a place in eternity for his followers. But in his death, they didn't understand. He was gone. And they thought it was all over. It was a moment. It was a crisis of hope. One thing that crushes our hope is our mortality. And in this moment, in this death, Jesus dies, she feels hopeless. And that's often true with us, isn't it? That the one thing that stands oftentimes between us feeling hopeful about the future and hopeless is the reality that one day we will die. And if death is the end of everything, there's a sense of hopelessness. Ask Woody Allen. Woody Allen, many years ago, was interviewed why he just produces film after film after film. And he said, I produce a film and the next film, and I keep writing and I keep producing so that I don't have to have any gaps in my time to think about life. And the reality that I would have to sit down in a chair and think about the terrible plight that human beings are in. Woody Allen said, and he admitted this, that he was a happy child until about five years old when he realized and came in contact or just understanding of his own mortality. That the idea that death is at the end, and it's the end of all relationships, the end of everything, left him feeling this sense of hopelessness. And yet, what happens in this passage is radical. What Jesus does is he overcomes death. The sting of death is gone. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, back to this chapter, it says, Where, O death, is your victory? O death is your sting. The death of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus. Jesus, in the resurrection, takes the sting out of death. He conquers it. The one thing that we fear the most is no longer in front of us. Yes, we will all one day die, but what Jesus accomplished in the resurrection is he took out the sting of death, the fear of death. Because in that moment, in the resurrection, he's bringing new life. And hope is based upon the reality that we will continue to live on in eternity. That this life is not all there is. And so Mary's hope was all of a sudden transformed. Psychologists will tell us that you cannot live without hope. There's no way. I read in a Psychology Today article that said, if you could find a way to package and dispense hope, I would have a pill more powerful than any antidepressant on the market. Hope is often the only thing between man and the abyss. As long as a patient, individual, or victim has hope, they can recover from anything and everything. In fact, one psychologist came up with a hope theory. And he said that hope helps people live better lives. In fact, if someone has hope and they have a will, they know where they're going, they have this sense of movement, they know where they're going, they have a path, and there's some agency behind it all that's driving them. 
And as I read that, I thought of it, and I said, what's the agency behind hope? It's God. It's the resurrection. That's the hope that you and I have, that one day this life continues on into eternity. For those that believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's hope beyond any suffering that we might endure. In fact, I read a great book called The Pursuit of Happiness, God's Way, by a, a Swiss theologian, Sergei Pinkerhours. And Pinkauer, Dr. Pinkhours says that in the resurrected body of Jesus, he consumed all the suffering of the world. He literally conquered suffering. The, the thing that we fear most, the thing that we don't want to experience, the pain and the difficulty and the suffering of life and death has been removed. The sting of it has been removed in the resurrection. And the third thing that I find about Mary is that she went through this transition, this, this renewal of new purpose, a changed life. That's what the resurrection, it brings faith, it brings hope, and it brings a new purpose. And I want you to see that in this text because it says at the end here, it says that she turns around, she thinks that Jesus is the gardener, and Jesus says Mary, and she turns in in Hebrew says Rabboni, which means teacher. And, and she's clinging to Jesus. She is so happy that she has now found Christ and she realizes that Jesus has conquered death. He Just as he said he would, he is now standing in front of her and she is clinging to him. And, she's, and Jesus says, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended the Father, but go be with the brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that she had said all these things. Now in one particular translation, it says that she ran. Earlier in John chapter 20, in the first section, the disciples ran. See, I believe that you are either running away from something, or you're running towards something. And in Mary's life, in this moment, in the resurrection, she was no longer running away. She was running towards. Jesus made the difference. The resurrection of Jesus gives her a new purpose. And we see in this passage a changed life because she began to run for the right reason. And could you imagine her running through the streets of Jerusalem, crying out, I've seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. It changed her whole life purpose in life. What she experienced and what she saw caused her to run not away from her fears, not to run away from her problems, but run towards Jesus and to proclaim his name. This man has changed my life and I now run with a purpose. Let me tell you a story of two different men. It's the tale of two men, 1988 and 1924. And in 1988, Ben Johnson ran the 100 meter in the Olympics, Summer Olympics in Seoul. And he won the gold medal. But later, it was discovered that he had, within his system, illegal substances. And they took the Olympic gold away from Ben Johnson. 1924, 64 years earlier, a man named Eric Liddell was supposed to run the 100-meter dash. Yet it fell on a Sunday. So he decided, because he believed 
that Sunday was a holy day to worship the Lord, his conviction was greater than his desire to win the gold medal. He decided to pass, and he didn't run the 100 meter, but later that week he ran the 400 and won the gold. Two different men, both of them runners, one running from something, another running towards something. It was said of Eric Liddell that he said that when he ran, he felt God's pleasure. That God had given him the ability to run, but running wasn't the objective of his life. It was to speak of the name of Christ, to proclaim the resurrection life through his life. And later, Eric Liddell would go to change world history by going to China as a missionary, being one of the many missionaries in China that would change Christianity, world faith, just the impact of Christianity across the world. 200, maybe million Christians in China owe their faith in Christ to men like and women like Eric Liddell. Ben Johnson, on the other hand, was running away from something. He was running away, and he was literally running the race for himself, wanting the victory. Running away maybe from something within him to say, that says, I'm not good enough. I've got to prove myself. This is what I need. And there's a unique difference between these two men. Now, Mary's run could be seen as in vain because women in the first century were not people that, women were not allowed to even testify in a court of law. And so as she moved forward in her life, now testifying to the resurrection of Christ, we have to understand that many would say, well, I'm going to discount that. And yet she went anyways. She kept running. No matter what other people said, she knew that the resurrection of Christ would change the purpose direction of her life forever. I want to end this morning. I want to take you back into the scene because we need to understand something here. Where are we? Where did this scene happen? It says it was in a garden, the garden tomb. In fact, we realize that Mary thought that Jesus was the gardener. Now that's not a minor observation. That's not a coincidence. Let's go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 when God created humankind, man and woman, to live in relationship with Him and He put them in a garden. God created the world as a garden. God gave us the entire world to enjoy in relationship with one another, creation and Him. Something went wrong. Sin entered the world. We chose to go our own direction. And we find now here in the resurrection, we're back in a garden. And Jesus is mistaken as the gardener, but he really is the gardener. I mean, think about it. The resurrected Lord is now risen from the dead in bodily form, by the way. I mean, that's important. That Jesus' body is restored, his human body to demonstrate the fact that what God is doing is restoring the garden for all of humanity. And in this moment, the resurrection of Christ is the restoration of everything. Your life, your body, everything matters. Your relationship to the world, God's creation, new relationship with Him, 
in order to step out with purpose, with hope for eternity, and with a new faith that's founded on Christ, that you've been approved by God. All of that has been changed. In fact, it says that the early Christians got together and they began celebrating this event, the crucifixion, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. They would have a meal together. And they would share that meal together. And during the meal, Christians were unique in the first century because they asked the question, what can we do for one another? How do we help one another? How do we restore the humanity of every person in our community? I mean, do people need jobs? Do they need food? Do they need encouragement? Do they need prayer? What do they need? And they asked the question, and Christians became the most giving people in the first century. And the communities of Christ's followers became people of love. People who understood that Jesus, the gardener, restored all of life. And he gave value to your life now and forever. That you will not one day be separated from your body, but one day it will all be made new, and your body and your soul will be reunited, recreated as Christ's body and soul were. As Jesus was resurrected, one day we will, and life will go on. And you and I have this morning an opportunity to not only renew our faith and hope and our purpose, but to realize that God has put us on this earth to replace oppression with love. To recognize the fact that this earth, these bodies, have been redeemed by the resurrection of Jesus for eternity. And what you do matters for all of eternity. And so this morning is a decision time for us. Some of us, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard a message like this. Maybe you've been coming out of tradition. Maybe you're just here and it's part of your family experience. You just come to an Easter service on Sunday morning. But I want you to, in this moment before you leave, I want to challenge you with something. I want you to put your faith this morning on the work of Christ on the cross who forgave all your sins. It's yours. You are approved by God. You do not have to work defining your approval with God any other way. It's on Christ. I want you to have a new hope this morning. I want you to have a hope that believes the fact that death will not stop your life from continuing on. That you have a hope of a future eternal life in Christ because of the resurrection. And that you have a new purpose. You have a purpose. That God has put you on this earth. He's given you relationships. He's given you your ability to go out and make a difference and demonstrate resurrection life through love, concern, care, and compassion. And become the Christian community. And maybe this is new. Maybe this is what you want. Maybe you're looking for that. And this morning, I would ask you, as I close in prayer, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up, I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm just going to ask you, I'm going to encourage you, if this is your very first time I want you to make a decision for Jesus. I want you to give your life to Christ. I'm, I'm in. I want that, God. It's a simple prayer. You're just simply saying, Lord, I understand that sin has been between me and God. And no longer. There's no, it's no longer there. Christ has paid the price. And maybe it's a time of rededication this morning. A rededication. So 
So I want to encourage you, if you're here and you've been kind of found yourself a long way away from this garden scene and this resurrection, that this morning's an opportunity to get reconnected with the real faith that you need, a real hope and a real purpose. And for some of you, you may be saying, gosh, I, I, I want to come to Christ and I want to get baptized. And I want you to come up to me or James or Bill or Matt, and I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to go, I'd like to be baptized. We're going to work that out for you. We'll take you out and baptize you as a new follower of Christ, as a demonstration that you have made a decision for Christ. And some of you this morning, I just want you to come back to church, 8.30 on the beach or uh, 10 o'clock up at the top of the hill. We have two services, the Norris Pavilion, every Sunday, and it can be for you. Do me a favor. If you pray this prayer this morning, if it's really a prayer, I would encourage you, come up to the cross. Take a picture of yourself standing by this cross as a way to demonstrate and remember this moment for you. So after I pray, come on up and take a picture standing by that cross. I encourage you to do that. And then send it to the church. Send it to us so we can pray for you. Just send it to the church. Info at riversouthbay.org. You can just send it right there and we'll grab that and we'll pray for you. So worship team, wherever you are, come on up and let me just pray for us. So Father, this morning, I just thank you for all these people that are here to celebrate Easter and the resurrection. And Father, I just want to thank you that uh, you have given us new life in this one event. That our new life of faith, hope, and purpose comes because of Jesus rising from the dead. No other way. And maybe you're here and you just want to say, Lord Jesus, here I am. Here I am. Would you take me? Would you accept me? Would you forgive me? Would you forgive me of everything that I have done that has separated me from you? Would you forgive me? And Jesus will say to you, absolutely, yes. Come, come. Just ask him right now. Lord, I, I, I really want this. I want this, Jesus. For some of you, it's, Lord, I, I want to... I want to get right with you this morning. I, I really want to see a stronger faith, a greater hope, and a, even a deeper, more meaningful purpose in my life. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings that to me. And this morning I commit to that. So thank you, Jesus. Amen.